Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Morning. You guys are amped this morning. I like it. Ready. My name is Chris Hunter. I'm the youth pastor here at Journey Church, and I'm just excited to have the opportunity to, to preach to you today. Uh, I was actually scheduled to preach the first week of August, and we, we kind of set out as staff, like when, when we're going to be going through series and, and when, when to preach. I'm kind of the flexible one. They just kind of throw me wherever uh, there's kind of a break or something going on. So I was like planned to go the first week of August and Stephen gets a hold of me. He says, you know, Chris, I, I'm really feeling God's calling me to do this four-part series called Unqualified. And I was like, okay. Well, he, he kind of knows me too that I'm not one that's going to, if you give me three months to go work on a sermon, I'm not going to start on it at three months. It's going to be two weeks before we're about ready to go. So it's like he, he knows that I probably didn't have anything just like ready to go, boom. So uh, I'm listening to him do his Unqualified series. And as he's going through his unqualified series, I'm sitting there going, man, I really want to keep this going. And so it was awesome. God laid on my heart to continue the unqualified series and a four-part series now became a five-part series. So I get to speak to you today as my fifth part that I feel God was just laying on my heart to share with you. And so Stephen went through uh, Hebrews 11 and in Hebrews 11, it talks about several people that made a big step in faith, and we're able to do amazing things. And the phrase that keeps coming up right before their name is said, it says, by faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abel. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Isaac. And how important that is, that by faith statement is so important because without that, it would just be Abraham did this. And we all know how that would end up if it was just him acting alone. And we find out that the definition of faith is a reality that God is who he says he is, and he has proved it by keeping all of his promises so that we can trust him with our lives no matter what happens. So that faith that we put in Jesus Christ, that we put in God, allows us and enables us to be able to do amazing things. Now, faith alone will do nothing. Faith needs to lead to action. There is uh, a works and faith combination that needs to happen. Faith, if it does not have works, is dead on its own. And I talked to my youth kids. I don't know if this is probably expensive. Um, but I talked to my youth kids, and I always bring up a chair. And I use this as an example of how to explain faith to them. I said, you know, I, I believe this chair is going to hold me up. I have faith that this chair will hold me up. Now, if I just walk around this thing and I always tell you how much faith I have in chair, this chair is awesome. It'll hold me up. But I never physically sit in it. I have never exercised my faith. I can say all I want. I believe in God. I believe in God. But until I actually surrender and place my trust in him, it really is worthless. 
And so I kind of help explain that so they kind of giggle like I believe in chair because I act like I have a strong faith in chair and never sit in it. Um, but that's how we are so often as believers. I believe in God, but I'm never going to really activate that faith. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof for what is not seen. And we look at that word reality, and, and Stephen explained to us in the last few weeks that the reality is actually, uh, in the Greek, confidence, substance, or strong foundation. How important a strong foundation is. And so I replaced that, and I said, faith is a strong foundation that God is who he says he is, and he has proved it by keeping all his promises so we can trust in him with our lives no matter what. And then we're going to be able to do what he's called us to do. A strong foundation. And I looked at like what... Whenever I think of strong foundation, I think of the times when I was first searching to buy a house. And now you'd walk in a house, and, and probably the number one question before you even walked in the house was like, is the foundation good? And it didn't matter what the house looked like, it, it was, is the foundation good? And I remember walking into houses, and I would like the house and be intrigued by the house, but then I'd walk in the basement, or I'd see the cracks in the foundation, and see either the work was done cheaply or something, and I'd say, I don't know if I want to get this house. No. And it, it made me think of our lives and how we look at our lives sometimes and how we act with our lives sometimes. It's, I call it the story of two houses. So you have one house representing our lives that on the outside looks so beautiful. I mean, you're walking in with the realtor. Can you imagine like, hey, this is, do you want this life? This life is really good. Here, come with me. And, and, and do you see the curb appeal? Do you see it? Oh, it looks good. Hey, the landscaping's done, by the way. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I say that now because mine didn't have landscaping. But you're looking there and you see all this beautiful stuff inside this home. Everything just looks good on the inside. And you're like, hey, it says this house has a basement. It says it has a basement. Can, can I go down and check that out? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know if you want to check that out because down there, I think it might change your view and you might not want to buy this house. But I want, to, I want you to take your attention to all these beautiful things. Look at how beautiful this house is. Don't you, can't you imagine yourself sitting here? Sit down on this, this nice couch here. You can imagine watching Sunday football. This is awesome. And you're like, oh, yeah. But I'm still wanting to know what's going on in the basement. And the realtor says, well, reluctantly, I'll, I'll let you go look in the basement. And you walk down in the basement, and it's filthy, and it's disgusting, and there's cracks all over the place. And it's... Those who live our lives for the temporary and our foundation is crumbling beneath us. And we might be able to keep it on and be able to enjoy the luxury of the temporary happinesses that we're seeking out, but eventually that house is going to come crumbling down and everything that has value up above will now be made worthless. We have the second house that we go and the realtor brings us up and we're looking at our lives, you know, and it doesn't look like the best house. It might be a house where you're like, hey, I might get robbed out in front of this house. It doesn't look good. And you're looking at it and you're like, well, it's got a lot of square footage. It's got a lot of potential. There's so much rooms. There's all this stuff. And you're like, well, let's take a look at the foundation. The foundation is solid. The foundation is solid. It says well, we, can, we can work with this. And I truly believe that's what God is like in our lives. He's that strong foundation. We might be that crumbling house on the outside, that house that just looks like it just needs a little tender love and care. And he comes in with his foundation and he starts piecing us back together and making us beautiful again.
There might be some rooms in our house that we're ashamed of, some things and areas in our lives that we're ashamed of, things that we've made mistakes, we've messed up, we've deliberately sinned against God. But he says, I'm going to take care of that. And upon my foundation, I will build your life back up. And that's the amazing thing about who Christ is, is he is our strong foundation. And with him, with him alone, we are able to do amazing things. But without him, if it was just Chris, boom, it would be Chris' failure. Because without Jesus Christ, without him as my foundation, it will ultimately lead to failure. On my own strength, I can't do things, but with God, I can do amazing things. And that's just what's amazing about how Christ is our foundation. And when we allow Christ to be our foundation, this whole idea of being unqualified, we turn our statement to this. I was, I was unqualified because of who Jesus Christ is. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, and the reason why it hit so home, at home with me while I was prepping for this is that I look at myself and I'm thinking, I got to preach in two weeks, three weeks. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel that I'm worthy to even stand up here and give a sermon. And I'm like, it's amazing how the devil works in our minds to make us freeze up and not be able to do what God is calling us to do. So I went through the, the things that I was experiencing, as even as I was preparing to preach, is the reasons why we feel that we are unqualified, and that keeps us from taking a step of faith in our lives to go do what God is calling us to do. And the first thing that, that obviously came to mind was my sin. My sin, I, I can't do this because I've messed up too much. I don't have it all together. Heck, it was like last week that I was just struggling mentally with so many different things. And how am I supposed to be able to stand up here and be able to give the message to people? How am I supposed to be able to do these things? I feel as though I am worthless. And we think of that scripture verse that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we, we hear that, I fall short. And we think about that, I fall short. That's just what comes up in my mind is that I, I fall short, I fall short, I fall short. Why can God use me or how can God use me? Because I fall short. And the thing is, we don't read the whole scripture. Because I looked at the scripture and I looked at the beginning and the end and it says, and the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to, whom, to, to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile and that's basically saying that it's available to everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of his glory, the glory of God, and are justified freely, freely by his grace through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So we fall short, but there's the good news at the end. We are all justified, and by grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, we are saved. So my God is bigger than the sin that you're trying to say is keeping you from stepping out in faith. And God is trying to communicate that to us. Quit worrying about your sin. Quit worrying about that room that's falling apart, that's, that, that place where you've hidden your sin. I want to come in there, and I'm, going to I'm bigger than that. I can take over that, and I can use you despite your sin. And sometimes it's amazing that God can even use our sin for us to communicate and be able to reach out to those that are also struggling with that sin. And so it's like even God can use our filthy, messed up lives and still use them for good. But so many times we fail to step out in faith because we think my sin, my sin is too big. 
I've fallen too far. God says, I am bigger than that, and I have an answer for that. You know, the next thing that I thought about was my abilities. My abilities. I Call someone else. Can you please, God? Because, like, I don't have the ability to do these things. I am not qualified. I'm not, I don't have what it takes. Can you get somebody else to do it? And I was thinking about the story of David versus Goliath. And so David was this young shepherd boy who was just tending the sheep. And he was going to go bring his, his brother's food because they were at war. And there was, this there was this standoff between the Philistines and the Israelites. And a Goliath, I love that his name's Goliath, but like we think of a giant man comes out. And he is just taunting the Israelites. He's saying, send anybody out. Let's see who wants to fight me. And we'll basically decide this war by who fights me and who wins. Those people will be their slaves depending on what the outcome is. And it says in scripture that David went to go visit his brothers and not only were his brothers afraid of this giant man that stood before them, but the king himself was also afraid of him. And David says, what are we doing, guys? We have the God of this universe that is on our side. That's that by faith. But if it was just David saying, I can do this, David would have got destroyed because David was a small in stature man and he didn't have the abilities that Goliath had. But David was saying, by faith, by my faith in the, Jesus, by the, by the God of this universe, the God of the Israelites, he will not let us lose. He will not let this man defy who he is. He will give us the power to overcome this giant in our lives. And so David goes to Saul, the king, and he's talking to, to Saul. And Saul looks at him and he goes, holy smokes, you really think you can go out there? We might as well just give up and just save your life, David. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. He says, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. You're, you're like skin and bones. You're, tiny, you're just a small boy, basically. And this guy is huge. Do you see how like your abilities, this is not going to happen. But he's saying, the God of the universe is on my side. Saul, do you understand? The God of the universe is on my side. And Saul sits there and he's like, ah, I don't know. And you can see he's kind of reluctant in scriptures how it says it. Because he tries to give him his armor. He's like, I'm just going to give you some kind of something to protect you, right? Let me give you this armor. And David's like, holy smokes, this stuff's heavy. I can't even walk in this. And David says, I don't need this. I don't need your earthly protection. I only need the protection from God. And he's going to take my abilities and he's going to make this giant fall. And I can't even imagine what those people were thinking as David walked up there. They're like, oh, shoot. This ain't like, he doesn't even have a sword. Like, he's swinging this thing around. It's like throwing a pebble at this dude. I mean, I can't even imagine what they were thinking. And then when the giant fell, they were quickly reminded how powerful our God is. And I think God uses the people with abilities that might seem small. And he shows his power and his glory through them. And that's exactly what he did with David. Is he showed that David's abilities, he was able to magnify them with his power. But it started with the by faith. That David did this by faith. His faith in God. And then he's able to do amazing works for God. 
know, the next thing I thought about was not just the abilities, but our failures. And the thing that, when I, when I want you to think about failures is when we, we've received Christ in our hearts, we choose to follow him, and we fall. Because I can say that that's one of the most upsetting things as a new believer, as a follower of Christ, is when we know the answers, we know what we're supposed to do, and we fall. And we make mistakes, and we, we deliberately sin against God. Those failures eat us up inside, and they fill us with shame. And a lot of times we keep ourselves away from God because the last time I tried to step out in faith, God, I fell. I failed. And I think of, I love, I love this analogy. It's a sports analogy, but it's, I remember being a high school football player. And I remember people telling me, like, well, I was a starter for the, the football team my senior year. And I remember the kids that were on the bench kind of saying, you're not good enough to be a starter. They would whisper those things, those doubts in my mind that so-and-so is better than you, this, 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 this. And I talked to the coach, and the coach said, just know I put you in there for a reason. I wouldn't put you in there if I didn't believe in you. And I realized this, that a coach puts somebody in, on the field to make a difference. Because on the sidelines, you're not going to make a difference. And if I'm going to believe the lies of this world that I can't make a difference, then I'm going to sit on the sidelines and I won't make a difference. But when God's calling you to step out on the field of faith, you might make a mistake. You might stumble and fall. But he's putting you out there because he wants you to be out there to make that difference. And if we fill ourselves full of fear of failure, we can't make a difference if we're on the sidelines. We think about the people in the scripture that failed. One that comes to mind is, is Jonah. And, and the interesting story about Jonah is, you know, he was called to just go speak to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah, you know, he, God speaks to him and says, I need you to go speak to the people of Nineveh. And he's like, oh, okay. No, actually he did the complete opposite. He just ran. It's like he's talking to God and he's like, oh, shoot, not again. And he just runs and he gets into a boat and he goes down to the very like, bottom of the boat. It's like he's hiding from God and he's sleeping in the boat while they're in the middle of the sea. And he's like, oh, maybe this will just pass. Maybe he'll call somebody else. Maybe because I showed up late, he's not going to have me do it anymore. But God starts sending a storm and the people in the boat are starting to freak out. And they're like, what is going on? Why is this happening? And they ask Jonah, like, do you have any, do you know why this is happening? Are you the reason why this is happening? Are you the reason why this storm is coming? And they find out that he is the reason and that he is running from God. And Jonah says, yes, I'm the reason. And they, they, they put him into the sea to hope that the storm will calm down and it will save the rest of their lives. And so they throw Jonah into the sea. And you can imagine in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a storm, you're being thrown out there. And you know, they didn't have life jackets back then. I'm sure the robes that they wore were not very good for swimming in. So he's going down. He is not going to be able to maintain staying above water for very long. And he writes about that moment in scripture. And it's amazing what he says, because he says, in my distress, 
I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But the last part, but you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Sometimes we feel that way. We fail and we are just sinking to the bottom. And we're thinking, why would a God, after my failures, after my mess ups, after all the things I've done, why would a God care anymore? And we hear Jonah's story of how the seaweed is wrapping around him. I just imagine him just sinking to the depths. He says, but my God took me out of this pit. And it's a pit he dug himself. God gives him mercy. He sends a, a fish to, to, to swallow him and save him and just spits him back out at Nineveh. Can you imagine that? It's like, I tried running and then, yeah. You guys won't even know, you won't even believe me about this story. I was uh, in the sea and fish swallowed me and yeah. Um, probably didn't smell very good when he went to speak to the Nineveh people. But he gets spit out at, the, at Nineveh and he doesn't even have a good attitude. I mean, he just had his life saved and he's like, well, pff, all right, God, I'll do what you asked me to do. And he goes and speaks to these people and he tells them basically, I, I, I'm picturing like a Turner Burn kind of sermon. Like, yeah, you guys are wicked. You're going to die. Better figure it out. And, and his, his effort, you can just hear it in the scripture, his effort is just not in it. His compassion for these people is just not there. And these people, their lives are changed. And the biggest thing that stands out to me is it doesn't matter about you. It's what God can do. And all God was asking was, Jonah, I just need you to go tell them. I just need you to give them a warning. And I'll do the rest. And I'll penetrate their hearts. And I'll help them see the truth. And you know, Jonah became frustrated. He's like, I knew you were going to do this, God. I knew you were going to do this. But here's the thing that I think is so interesting about this story. Do you think God called Jonah because he thought Jonah was this great and perfect person? I think he called Jonah because he knew there was this thing in Jonah's heart that needed to be fixed. Because Jonah, for some reason, thought he was on a pedestal and he saw the Ninevite people as this. And he didn't see them with the same value that God saw them as. And so God was trying to point out in Jonah's heart, you're missing the point, Jonah. And I called you not because I was just concerned about the Ninevite people. I called you because I wanted to show you something. I wanted to reach you also. You know, we think about others that made mistakes. People that even walked with Jesus, like Peter. And right before he, Jesus was about to be arrested, you know, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, no, I won't do that. I've been following you. I've been doing everything you've asked me to do. I'm the first one out of the boat. I'm the first one to do everything that you asked me or call me to do. I will not deny you three times. And we get into scripture where he's already denied Jesus twice. And he's responding to somebody who says, do you know him? And he says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, looked at him in the eyes. 
And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. How often we have felt that way when we want to do what's right, we want to do what God is calling us to do, and we find ourselves doing the complete opposite, and we, we, we find ourselves at Peter's state, weeping bitterly. But there's more. There's good news because Jesus comes back and is able to speak to Peter after rising from the dead. And he not only forgives Peter, but he says, Peter, I'm going to have you be the rock in which I build my church on. You think about that. That's, that doesn't make sense to us. Like if I failed, you know, I'm going to make you do the lower end job because you proved to me you can't do it right. Right? But instead he says, Peter, I know your desire of your heart is to do what I'm asking you to do. And I know after I've taught you this lesson that you cannot rely on your own strength. I know now that I can build my rock on you because of what you have learned through this. And Peter is called to a great ministry to reach the lost. And yet he failed. God can use our failures. He can use our, our mistakes, our shortcomings to do amazing things. Sometimes we get hung up on those failures and think that because I failed, God can't use me. It's so the opposite. You know, the last thing I thought about was my comfort. And how I want to define my comfort is that desire to stay the same. My desire to not do anything differently. But by faith requires change. It requires action. You cannot stay the same. You know, I think of the comfort that we so desperately want. We want things to stay the same. We don't want to be interrupted by anything. And we look at that house that's beautiful on the outside, beautiful on the first floor. And there's a huge problem that's going on underneath it. And we don't want to look at it. I just want to stay in my comfort. I just want to enjoy the first floor because that's what everything looks good on the outside. And we allow these things in our lives like addictions, toxic relationships, anything that can, the devil can use to separate us from God. And we try to ignore those things and say, you know what, it's not that big a deal. And we tuck it away down below and it just starts eroding at the foundation. And eventually it's going to come crumbling down. I see this all the time with marriages. Like you see these people that you see on the outside look like they're happy, look like everything's going well. And it's a couple who is neglected to address the issues that both so desperately feel are there, but they just start to grow apart. And they can put on the smiling face, they can be in public, they can act like everything's fine, but the cracks in the foundation are starting to get severe. And there's going to be a point to where it's going to come crumbling down. And we hear of the heartbreaking divorces that happen, and we never saw them coming. But they knew very well that there was cracks in the foundation that were going, going to be catastrophic. I don't want us to ever get to a point to where we want to be content or comfortable with where we're at if that is causing our foundation to crumble. You know, Jesus talks about a wealthy man and he points out something inside of his heart that he needed to address. This man, this wealthy man comes up to Jesus and he says, you know, I've followed your command. I've done everything that the Jewish law has told me to do. I've done everything that you, you, you know, you want me to do. I've done all the rules. 
what else do I need to do to be able to inherit your kingdom? To be able to, to be in heaven, to be able to be with you. And he says, if you desire to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away in sorrow because he had great wealth. Jesus was saying, there's something that you care so much about. There's something that you put your security on and it's not me. And I want to teach you something. I want you to be able to give this up so that you can really rely on something that's going to be a strong foundation because your wealth is not going to be able to be a strong foundation for you. And he tried to point that out to this man and he cared too much about his comforts in life that he walked away and was sorrowful. He was upset. He did not want to give up the things that made his life comfortable. You know, when I was preparing for the sermon, I was thinking of like how the devil just gets into my head and he tries to put doubts in my head and how I get these feelings of being unqualified to even be able to speak. And I was thinking, what is he doing? And I tried to put it to words. I said, when God is calling me, the devil will magnify your sin. When God calls you to step out in faith, he will magnify your sin, leaving you paralyzed and inactive. And once we choose to ignore God's call, so it's interesting, he magnifies my sin to make me think, I can't do this, I can't step out in faith and do this. And so then when I respond to being paralyzed and inactive, and I move away from what God is calling me to do, the devil will then minimize your sin, moving you to a place of comfort with your sin. Isn't that interesting? I was working through that in my own mind. I was like, it's almost as if when we are called to do something, the devil wants to flood our minds with how big of a screw-up we are, how big of a mess-up we are, how unqualified we are. And so what happens is we feel like many of the people in the Bible felt that I can't do this. And the moment we step away like Jonah and we walk away, the devil doesn't want to make that sin still magnified in our life because then we'll have to address it. No, we're going to tuck it into the basement. We're going to tuck it down below and we're going to minimize it that it's not that big a deal and just hope somebody else took the step of faith to do what he had called me to do. I was working through those things in my head and I was like, man, like, why am I feeling this way? Why is these things just coming at me? And it was the devil. He was trying to fill my mind with doubts that God couldn't use me. And I failed to focus on what truly who, who I should be focusing on is God. And how he has been using people for years and years and years that are imperfect to make a difference. And he is bigger then everything that I mentioned, my sin, my abilities, my failures, my comfort, Jesus Christ is bigger. And if you notice that Jesus Christ is the foundation there, and all those things are crossed out, and when all those things are crossed out, and Jesus Christ is the foundation, guess what I am? I'm qualified. I am qualified to follow after Jesus Christ and be able to do amazing things through him. You see, Jesus qualifies the unqualified and gives value to those who feel worthless. Through Jesus, we see the value in our lives and those around us. 
Not only does he give us value, but he gives us the perspective to value those around us. I always feel like God, it's like God gives us his eyes, his vision, and he says, I want you to see what I see, and I want you to see this broken world, and I want you to see you as valuable because I do value you. He says, God knows the numbers on your, the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows the inner thoughts inside that you're thinking, and he still looks at you and he says, you're mine and you're precious and you're valuable. And value means that you have worth. And God wants to use you to do amazing things. You know, uh, I love the phrase that Aaron said in one of his sermons. He was talking about the impact that we can make. He said, see a need, meet a need. But he said one thing, don't underestimate the power of one conversation. You know, we think of like when God is calling us to do something, we think of like this big extravagant thing. Well, that's just going to upset my life. This is going to be crazy. This is going to be this. What if God is just calling you to reach out to your neighbor or your friend? What if God is just calling you to do that? He's wanting you to step out in faith in that. And we're too scared to even do that. As a baby Christian, when I first was just wrestling with like the decision to even like, you know, do I really want to follow God? Because if I follow God, it's going to disrupt my life, right? And I remember thinking, like, just as a young Christian, like, if, if I ask God into my heart, he's going to send me to Africa. Holy smokes. I can't deal with that. I hate snakes. I hate spiders. I can't do that, God. <laughs> and that was just my mindset. Like, he's going to send me somewhere where I'm going to get killed. That doesn't sound awesome to me. And so I just had this perspective of, like, God is just going to wreck my life into this terrible place. And like, I'm going to just, it's, it's going to be, you know, and I'm going to be like, yeah, it's awesome. Like, no, like God is just calling me to step out in faith and do the little things he's asking me. And he has things around me all over the place that I can step out in faith and be able to, to make an impact for him. Am I, am I opening my eyes to them? Am I seeing them? And when we do that, it's amazing how we, we see God work through us. And we're like, I did not even think that person would even want to come to church. But when I gave them an invitation to come, they were here. And I'm watching God work in their lives, and you're like, that is awesome. And all it took for me is just to say, do you want to come to church? Or, hey, sounds like you're going through a rough time. Can, can we get together for coffee, see how things are going? I just want to be there for you. We miss that. We miss those opportunities. And we think that... Well, let's call the pastor. Maybe he can do something to help this person because I am just not skilled enough. He's read a lot of books. He probably can figure it out. But those people just need you to be there. God is calling you. He's calling the unqualified, those that, that feel like they don't have the ability to do it. And he's going to make a difference in people's lives through you. You know, he might call you to the big things. Funny side note, I did go to Africa. Just so you know. And it was actually a good experience. So, and I was like, man, all the things I worried about, you know? And actually, you know, when I was in high school, I did mentorship as, under my youth pastor. And I remember I had to give a sermon through that mentorship. And I remember my mom coming up to me afterwards and she's like, oh, you would be a really good youth pastor. And I was like, nope, no, mom, no. Because you know what I was afraid of? You know how much pressure that is? 
I have to stand in front of these people and act like I have my life all together. It's not all together. It's failing. It's falling apart. And as a high school kid, you're going to tell me that I want to go and be that leader in front of that group? No. Find somebody else who's made less mistakes and is perfect. And it's amazing how God's continued to work in my life and he continued to show me that, Chris, I'm not calling you because you're not because you're perfect. I'm calling you because you're imperfect and I want to be able to show my glory through you. I was like, this is, this is hard. And so God will call us to do things and it's amazing how we kind of sometimes resist that. But when we step out in faith and we are open to that, God really shows us how he's working behind the scenes. And I want us to be able to be as a church to be able to see that, but it requires us to do it by faith. By faith, we step out and we're able to do amazing things. You know, in Hebrews, it does talk about those that by faith stood out and, and, and wanted to make a difference and, and reach the lost. And there was consequences. There was earthly consequences that came from that. They were at trials of mockings and scourgings and were in chains and imprisoned. They were stoned and sawn in two and were tempted were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destituted, afflicted, tormented. And it says at the end of this, and this is the amazing thing about how God views those people. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. I just think of God smiling down on these people and says, they don't deserve you. I mean, think about how much he sees those people and how much he just loves those people. You can just hear it in the scripture. They gave the sacrifice to reach the loss, that is my heart. That is exactly what I did by sending my son for these people. And I'm seeing it, I'm seeing Christ in them with their sacrifice. The world is not worthy, but man, I love these people. And there's this awesome story about Polycarp, and I'm gonna show you this video here. It's just amazing the faith and how through his faith, He's able to reach the lost in his attitude. I want you to listen to his attitude even before going to his death. Like a scene straight out of Gladiator, the 86-year-old Bishop of Smyrna was dragged into the Colosseum. His name was Polycarp. He was told to recant his faith in Christ, but he refused. 86 years I have served him, said Polycarp, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The Colosseum crowd chanted, let loose the lion, but the Roman proconsul chose death by fire instead. Then Polycarp heard a voice, a voice from heaven. The voice said, be strong, Polycarp, play the man. And he did. As the pyre was lit on fire, Polycarp prayed one last prayer. I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs. The flames engulfed him, but like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the flames did not consume him. Instead of burning flesh, the aroma of frankincense filled the Colosseum. So the executioner stabbed Polycarp through the flames. Polycarp bled out but not before he lived out John's exhortation to the church at Smyrna, the church that Polycarp pastored. 
Polycarp was discipled and ordained by John himself. So he didn't just read these words in Revelation 2.10. He could hear John's voice. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, said John. Be faithful even to the point of death. And he was. Polycarp died fearlessly, died faithfully. He did what the voice from heaven had commanded. Be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. The last part, do not be afraid for what you are about to suffer. Be faithful, even to the point of death. You know, God is calling us to want to step out in faith and to put his trust in him. And we can't leave, I mean, we can't try to f control how, how things are going to work out or how the end. But what we can control is our attitude towards God and our willingness to step out in faith. And God will use us and he'll do amazing things. And it's amazing to see great faith like that on display. So I'm so grateful to be counted as one of your martyrs, God, that I will be going to death for you. It's great faith. And that's what I hope when we step out in faith, we demonstrate that great faith. And, it, and through that, we'll be able to do amazing and miraculous things that we never thought we were able to. Because so many times we hold ourselves back from those things because of our sin, because of our abilities, because of our failures, and because we just want things to stay the same. God is challenging us to step out in faith and watch him go to work. If you are a person here today that maybe you've never put God or put your trust in God or put your faith in Jesus Christ. I was listening to a documentary on Billy Graham and he said, the biggest thing about his talks, the biggest thing about his, his sermons was he always wanted to give an invitation. You see, his message meant nothing unless he gave that invitation. The invitation that God wants you to follow after him. And he wants to give you forgiveness of your sins. He wants to be able to turn your life from this broken down, shambled house to a beautiful, beautiful home. He wants to, to be able to just transform you. But you've got to be willing to accept me and receive me into your heart. And so if that's you today that you don't feel that you've ever asked Christ to come in, and in simple words, clean house. <laughs> going to take care of the foundation. You're going to build your life upon him. You're going to find his truths in the scriptures and you're going to seek what he wants in your life. I ask you to do that because it will. It'll transform your life. It'll transform your marriages, your families. And God gives that open invitation daily. Do not wait to receive that invitation to be able to do the work that he's calling you to do. So as I pray, I just that's you today, just pray during our prayer that God would just come in and, and, and take over to clean the sin from your heart, to clean the sin from your life, and to transform you into the person you want him to be. Pray that he puts the people in your, in your path to help guide you along this journey. It is a journey that we walk together, and there'll be moments of failure. There'll be moments where we fall, but God is going to shape us and mold us into the people he wants us to be. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you carry all the things that I fall short. You're able to fulfill so much through me despite my imperfections. God, I pray that you would open my eyes to be able to see that the areas in which you can use me, the areas in which you can impact this world for you so that they can see your love and mercy and who you are. God, I pray for those that might not have received you yet, that, God, they would, hearts would open up to you and you would just go in and fill their lives with the joy and the peace that only you can bring. That you would transform their lives into the lives that you want them to be and so that they can feel that solid foundation that only you can provide. God, thank you for being the loving God that you are. And I just pray, God, that we would, would just lean on you and allow you to work through us so that you can make us qualified to do your work. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.